Father, once again we come before you on a Sunday morning. Lord, in our worship service, and yet there's not a one of us in this room that is not carrying many burdens of this life, many cares. And Lord, we ask today that you would help us, that you would teach us from your word how to simply trust in you and to live by faith. We ask for your grace. We ask for your mercy. And Lord, we ask that when we leave this place, we'd be more equipped and better able to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world in which we live. That our worship would be real enough on Sunday to draw people to Jesus all the rest of the week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next song. Let's go to the book of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, Hebrews chapter 4. We've been... Dealing with the subject of faith, and a few weeks ago we spent time on the price of faith. That if there's anything that you want to hold on to in your life, anything that uh, you are not willing to give up, then you're not going to get faith. Faith costs everything. Because whatever you have before you came to Jesus Christ is unusable in your service for Christ. You've got to get rid of it. And, and that's what Jesus was talking about in Luke 14 when he talks about hating your father and your mother and your family. It's letting them go. It's getting rid of them. The only way that you can truly love another human being is by getting God in between you and that human being. Amen? And that is what faith is supposed to do in our life. And there is a struggle. And, and as uh, sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll get so involved in, in teaching and preaching about the struggle that we'll forget that there's also a, a rest to this thing called faith. Uh, there, there is a part of this faith that is all of God. And, and what we have is, uh, in, in, in our lives is, is we uh, move from one extreme to another. You know, I just, I just hate the word balance. Uh, people talk about, well, you need a, uh, a balanced diet and you need a balanced this and a balanced that and... and um, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not very good at balance. How many remember the balance beam, the dreaded little piece of wood in gymnastics class? I mean, I flunk that every time. Uh, they say, walk along the board. And, and I, I have never drank alcohol or inebriating substances, but I can't walk uh, across that board. Uh, we're in the, uh, inside the roof of the building there in Greenpoint and and uh, Andrew's up there walking around, and Stephen's walking around. I'm sitting down, just sliding across. Uh, uh, that's what God made coveralls for. Amen. Uh, 
Uh, and, and we talk about this, and really what we have to stop worrying about is balance and, and start concentrating on what God wants us to do. And you know what will happen? You're going to have that balance in your life. You see, balance comes from obedience. And Hebrews chapter 4 is one of those really pivotal passages. We're going to spend some time in verse 12. Uh, The Word of God is quick and powerful. I mean, I I love that verse. Uh, I love the way my pastor Roy Thompson used to preach it. You cannot separate the living Word, Jesus Christ, from the written Word. They are one in the same. And that's why the Bible is alive. It's because of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we start out in verse 1 here, and it says, Let us therefore fear. Now, you can look that word up in any dictionary you want, uh, in any language you want, but it means to be afraid. Uh, Really deep here, it tells us that we need to be afraid of some things. Excuse me. How many of you have seen that bumper sticker? I do this every time. No fear. You've seen those things. Uh, Just write it down. No fear. No brains. No sense. Uh, There's a lot of other things missing too. How many say amen to that? Uh, The simple truth is, there, there ought to be some things that you're afraid of. And the Bible says, here's one of the things that you ought to be afraid of. You ought to have some fear, some, some nervousness there, some, a sense of danger. It says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of, uh, left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. He says, you need to be afraid of something. He said, there is a promise of rest that is given to the believers in God. To those people who possess faith, there is a promise of rest given. Then why am I so tired? Well, listen, the Bible says that if we're... If we don't have some fear, if we don't have a sense of danger, if we don't understand that we could miss this thing, we're going to miss it. We're we're going to lose it. We're not going to get there. And verse 2, he reiterates this and builds it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Preaching is good. Preaching is necessary. But if the preaching from the pulpit does not make a connection with faith that is already in you, that's why Habakkuk said, the just shall live by his faith, You've got to have that faith inside you. There's got to be a connection. There's got to be a mixture there. 
for it to do any good. That's why some people can sit in church every day of their lives and hear preaching after preaching after preaching and nothing happens. There's got to be both. That's why I challenge you to read your Bibles at home, to pray at home, to ask God. Uh, you want a better preacher? I'll tell you, I know your preacher very well, and you could use a better preacher. Uh, if you want a better preacher, pray for him during the week. And that prayer will also make you more receptive to the preaching when you get here on Sunday. There, there's got to be a preparation not only of the preacher, but of the preachee, if we might put it that way. And it says that these people missed it because they didn't have faith. For we, verse 3, for we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. You see, this is where the Calvinist gets everything messed up. God already knows what's going to happen. He already knows who's going to believe and who's going to reject. So instead of trying to figure out this whole world from God's perspective, why don't you figure it out from yours and get a little fear? Because if you're not afraid of what can happen, you're going to miss what God has for you. That's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to pay attention to. And it says here, uh, For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief, and again, it says again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another rest. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Yeah. Verse 8, how many did you catch that, verse 8? Was that talking about Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth? No, it's talking about Joshua, the son of Nun. You say, well, why isn't Joshua's name in there? Well, our New Testament was written in Greek and our Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And those are the differences in the names. Our translators... We're so careful in their translation that they weren't going to take a liberty and change the name because it wasn't changed in the text. They say, you're supposed to study it enough to know who it's talking about. And, and I like a Bible that hasn't been simplified by someone else. When I worked in a nursing home, one of my jobs, uh, as a Bible college student, one of my jobs 
was to simplify the meal process for certain patients who couldn't eat. Uh, you know what that meant? The guys in the kitchen put it in a blender and then poured water in there and made a soup out of it. And uh, I had a big uh, syringe and it and then you would just put the end in their mouth and very slowly uh, put the, well, they called it food. It didn't look like food. Uh, and anything looked that bad, I never wanted to taste it. But I'll tell you what, I don't like simplified meals. I pray that I never have to worry about those things. Uh, if you've ever had your jaw broken or something like that, you, you know what that is. That's not a, a, a good thing. So why would we do it to the Bible? Amen? You see, what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us is that the Sabbath is a picture of rest. By the way, the Sabbath never has been, never will be, Sunday. The Sabbath is the seventh day. I had a a uh, fellow one time, he was of the Seventh-day Adventist persuasion. He says, you worship on Sunday. That's the day of the sun god. He said, you worship on Saturday. That's the day of the night god, Saturn. No, no, it's called the Sabbath. I said, no, no, it's called the first day of the week. Amen. Uh, don't, don't get into those things. And it's amazing that the people, Seventh-day Adventists, who claim to rest on the Sabbath and all of this, it says, Ellen G. White, their founder, um, says that just because you're saved by grace does not excuse you from the works of keeping the law. That is a basic quote out of her book. Now, if that's not convoluted confusion, if that's not exactly what the writer of Hebrews is preaching against in this passage. You see, there is a rest for the people of God. The Sabbath was a picture of that rest. God finished creation in six literal 24-hour days. You believe that because the Bible says so. That's exactly correct. I do. And I offer no other evidence to you. But if you really want to study this evolution thing out, go ahead. But you see, in the last 40 years or so, evolution has changed incredibly. When I was a little kid in school, they were talking about um, a world... That was a couple hundred million years old. Now they're talking about four and a half billion years old. Why did they increase the time? Because they got smart enough to realize it could never happen in five or six hundred million years. It, they had to add more time. Well, you can keep adding time. It's kind of like, how many of you have ever tried to make whipped cream? And it didn't whip. You can beat it all day long. And all you're going to get sauce. You know what? The evolutionist, he can add time until time is no more. 
But he's not going to get truth. Is it that hard of a thing to imagine that God has the power to create everything that now is out of nothing in six literal days? If you understand the concept of God, that's, that's, that makes sense. That God wound up this earth and let it go on its own, that doesn't make a bit of sense. And you see, there was a rest that was spoken of as God stopped His work. There was a rest that was promised when they entered into the land of Canaan and obeyed God. We have a lot of songs that talk about when I crossed Jordan's stormy banks and, and uh, uh, talk about Canaan uh, living in Beulah land as if it were heaven, those songs aren't theologically correct. Canaan land isn't heaven. What was the first thing they did when they got to Canaan land? Study your Bible. They got right with God. Then they fought a war. You know, when I get to heaven, I won't have to get right with God. I won't have to take care of things that were undone while I was wandering in the wilderness. That's all going to be taken care of through the blood of Jesus Christ before I walk in the door. Amen? There's not going to be any more wars to fight. You read Revelation chapter 19. Jesus is going to fight a war, but all we do is follow behind Him. Again, something to think about. I'm glad I serve a God that doesn't need me to protect him. Amen. He's not looking for my help. He's big enough to take care of it all on his own. That's why he can talk about rest. And that's why he said Joshua did not give the children of Israel rest. Why? Because of their unbelief and because of their disobedience. And so we get to verse 9, and this is where we want to dig in this morning. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. There is a, a rest. Now, how many of you wish you could have just stayed in bed? Don't raise your hands. Just stayed in bed this morning and forgot about everything. Well, once you have kids, you never have that opportunity. Even after they're grown up, they call you on the phone. Hey, how are you doing today? Trying to sleep in. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, do you have a minute to talk? And then all gone. Listen. Some of the greatest rest you will ever get is actually the biblical kind, is while you're working. There are many things, uh, when a singer sings, they'll sometimes have a vibrato, and part of that vibrato is lessening the tension on the vocal cords. It's, It's actually a type of rest while you're actually singing, and yet what it does is it propels the sound much farther than it would otherwise. There, there are many things that we just 
have this idea of rest. How many of you have ever finished something? I mean, you're just tired and worn out, but you put the last block in place, you put the last bit of paint on the wall, felt like you had been, just woke up from an eight-hour rest, even though your body's all physically tired, because that job has been done. Am I the only nutcase in here that does that? I, I, I don't think so. I think most of us are like that. If you haven't experienced that, I'll challenge you. You need to work a little harder and finish something. And you, you will realize that joy that is there and that rest. In verse 10 it says, For he that is entered into his rest, he hath also ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Now, doesn't that sound strange? Let us labor. Let us work so that we can enter into rest. And yet, that's what the Bible tells us. This is what faith will do. If we will labor at the things we're supposed to labor at, we will find the rest that God has given us. Let me just give you one example. How many of you remember the struggle that was in your soul before you got saved? Would you just lift up a hand and say, hey, that was me. And, and, and I tried this and I tried that and I thought I was doing this and I thought I was doing everything right and... You know, people that have been a part of uh, of a very uh, active religious life before they got saved, sometimes I've watched them. They'll, they'll they'll get angry and say, "Everything I did was a lie." Say, yeah, but you have to labor to get past that, so that you can stop struggling. You can rest in Jesus Christ. How many of you know how a lifeguard works? If you're out there going, bloop, 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 popping up, the lifeguard is going to swim out to the proximity. He's going to get close to you, but not close enough for you to touch him. Because what often happens is when someone panics, and they're drowning and they're in danger, they'll grab a hold of that lifeguard with that iron grip that only comes from a total panic, and both the lifeguard and the person he's saving drown. So the lifeguard's got to let you wear yourself out. Otherwise, he's not only putting his life in danger, he's continuing to put your life in danger. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. That labor, you have to get rid of self. You have to part with everything that you can. But how many of you remember the rest that just flooded your soul when you finally said, it's all about Jesus and it's none about me. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and He saved me. Could somebody say amen to that? We got one. Let's get some more. For me, that was August 28th, 
1977. I don't know how many prayers I prayed before that date. But you see, they weren't a faith. Somebody had very well intentioned told me, if you really mean it, God will save you. Well, what in the world is the understanding? I thought, Lord, I mean it, but it didn't work. So I'll, I'll mean it some more. And Lord, I really, really, really mean it. I want you to save me. And finally, it, it, it dawned upon my belabored little soul as 11 years old. Lord, I give up trying to mean it enough. Just save me. And he did. You see, this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. You see, we need to labor to enter into that rest. And and as we've as I've said so many, many times, and I hope you don't get tired of hearing these things, but after twenty three and a half years you're gonna repeat yourself a little bit. I'm uh, I'm convinced of that, and, and uh, sometimes it's good to repeat. What you did to get saved is exactly the same thing you do to live for Him. That surrender that it took to get saved is the same surrender that you need on a daily basis to live for Jesus Christ. That's what faith will do. And as you rest in Jesus, I love that message in Sunday school. You do the possible, God does the impossible. I mean, we've seen God do that just in the last few weeks with this new building in Brooklyn. We're struggling with the possible, but God's taking care of the impossible. And we're going to see, I believe we're going to see this thing complete and services being held there again. But it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of sacrifice and a lot of surrender on our part. Because God can do the work. It's just that we get in the way. And he's given us some tools here. He's given us three things that, that we need to grab a hold of. If you want rest, uh, I've titled this morning, The Rest of Faith. I, I thought about trying to title The Rest of Your Faith and try to get that little uh, double meaning in there. Uh, because this is a part of faith that we miss so often. And if there's any area that we will deceive ourselves in and get tripped up, it is in this idea of works brings us into God's favor. We are so conditioned from a background of false religion. We are so conditioned even as little children You go to school. Who does the teacher like the most? The most obedient kid in the class. Isn't that it? Now, you know, some kids can get that subject matter or have talents to do things and they don't work at all. 
And it just kind of happens and the teacher just loves them. And here you are just scratching and climbing and trying and struggling. And you only get a C and the teacher goes, I'm not going to worry about them. I love Brother Horton when he was here. He said, God uses C students. And uh, I'll tell you, he does. He uses anybody. If we'll stop making it about us and start making it about Jesus. And so, this is the context. This is the explanation. This is the foundation. So often we count, quote verse 12 all by itself. And it's certainly one of those verses that you can quote all by itself. It, it doesn't have to have all of the context to understand everything. But when you put it in that context you find out that this Word of God is one of the things that God has given us to get a hold on to get rest. If you're afraid of losing out on God's rest, the first thing you've got to get a hold of, or actually let the Word of God get a hold of you. Amen? Uh, let's look here. For the Word of God is quick and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Listen, this book is alive. That's what the word quick means. It means living. And it is powerful. You know, I think of the story of the uh, taking down of the Berlin Wall and the collapse of the Soviet Union. And, and uh, historians uh, attribute that to three uh, individuals. Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher, and uh, I think it was John Paul was the Pope. That's, that's who historians say uh, was responsible uh, for that, the collapse of the Soviet Empire. But I, I want to tell you, the number one black market item in the Soviet Union was this book right here. Bigger than Levi jeans. Bigger than rock and roll music. Bigger than anything that was getting smuggled into Russia. Could you imagine what life would be like in America if this book were more important than the illegal drugs that are being smuggled into this nation every week and every day and every hour. We have so much of this book that we ignore it. remember meeting a guy, he says, I'm Greek, I was raised in a Greek school, I know everything that's in that book. I said, you don't know anything that's in that book. Oh, I most certainly do. As he pulled the cigar out and, oh, I mean, oh, just uh, all over the place and living a, a terrible life. Don't, don't tell me. 
that you learned everything. But that's what people believe. Try to give them a gospel track. I'm a Catholic. I don't need that. I'm Jewish. I don't need that. Uh, I'm, I'm this. I'm that. How about you're lost? And you do need that. Amen? This book is the only hope. If someone will not listen to what's in this book, nothing else matters. You can't go any further. Had a guy say, I don't believe anything that's in the Bible. I I don't believe any of that stuff. I just turned around and started walking away. He said, what? I said, I don't have anything to speak to you about because everything I have is in this book. If you refuse to believe that book, our conversation, I'm just wasting your time. And mine. But I'll tell you, this book is powerful. I believe, I'm not exact on the numbers, but I believe uh, Homer, the great Greek poet, I think we had 23 extant copies of his poem, The Odyssey, or whatever. Wasn't it Homer wrote The Odyssey? Uh, we had 23 copies of his work that were extant. And from that, they were able to rebuild uh, uh, the history and, and publish that, uh, that thing, that writing of his. And It's really, when you go into the bookstore, it's one of the most ancient writings that you can just pick off the shelf. It's, it's always there. Uh, Homer lived a few centuries before the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses wrote 18 centuries before the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet my Bible is everywhere. You know, we get excited about old things. But why don't we get excited about this book? I mean, it's still here. You see, it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It says that it pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. Now, here's what the Bible really does. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, the Bible speaks a lot about people who are Deceived by the deceivers, seducers that are out there. The Bible talks about people who are deceived by their own hearts. There's one answer for that. This book will straighten it out. This book will throw light. Somebody says, will it throw any light on the presidential campaign? Oh, yeah. More light than any one of them candidates want in their life. I'll promise you that. Because every one of them is going to come up short according to this book. Because every human being comes up short. Every living person. And we have candidates who make all kinds of claims. I remember the one who was a Baptist preacher. How many remember Mr. Huckabee? 
He, he's supposed to be a Baptist preacher. Somebody told me, he said, you've got to be for him. I said, his favorite musician is Mick Jagger, according to his own profession. I don't believe in that kind of Baptist. I said, we don't have that kind of Baptist here. If he has no better taste than the devil's music, I just wonder what he believes about the Bible. You see, this book is the only thing on earth that will make you be honest with yourself. But you've got to get under the light. You've got to spend some time there. If no one else... Have you ever met someone that was so self-deceived that you just couldn't? You, you just couldn't penetrate the shell around them. No matter what you did. This book will do it. You see, it's one of the tools that God has given us. So that we can have rest. If you had to trust your salvation to some inner feeling or premonition. How many of you have ever had a sinus infection? Or uh, some type of ulcer type thing. A friend of mine in Cleveland, he described it this way. He says, I've got an ulcer. He says, I've got to get better to die. And uh, that really describes it sometimes. If you had to depend upon some kind of feeling or some kind of inner premonition, good night, every time the, the barometer changes, I'd lose my salvation. Uh, it, it just wouldn't work because I'd be disoriented. I couldn't figure it all out. But <laughs> I rest. On the pages of this book that says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You know, we had probably the greatest single historical event in the history of New York City. 9-11. And uh, our church was here. Uh, before that, we were serving the Lord, and preachers would ask me when I was in meetings, what are you doing different? What's different now? And, and at first, I was like, well, nothing. We're, we're just doing what we did before. And then all of a sudden, it dawned on me. We were already doing what's right. When the crisis happened, we did not need to change direction. We did not need to revamp what we were doing. We didn't need to come up with a whole new plan of attack and a new philosophy of ministry. We needed to just keep doing what we were already doing. Talking to people about this book. Trying to get them to get their faith off of events and off of circumstances and to rest in the written Word of God. This is what the answer is. The Bible will tell you if you're doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Or if you're trying to do wrong things for the right reasons, the Bible will be right there in your face. It will condemn you at every turn. The devil's greatest temptation is 
listen, if you just do this little bit of wrong, good things are going to happen. The devil is a liar and the father of it. There is no good that can come out of wrong. Well, I'll tell you what, I told a little white lie the other day. Well, what happens when the person that you made feel good with your white lie finds out it's a lie? Then they feel twice as bad now, don't they? You see, you can't get around God's Word. It's the tool that God has given us. It is the thing that God says, grab a hold of this. There is nothing that cannot be made plain under the light of this book. There's an awful lot of good liars out there. I mean really good liars. You want to find out if they're lying or not? Give them the book test. That's why in our discipleship, the first lesson is on the Bible. And we talk about the Bible. The Bible, everything's about the Bible. And it's been more than one person that, that has gone through that lesson and come back and said, I'm not coming back to this church anymore. So what, what, what happened? He says, you put too much emphasis on the Bible. I actually had a guy tell me that. And I looked at him and I said, listen, if you want a reason to leave this church, that's probably the best one I know of. Because if you don't think this book is everything, you're not going to be happy here. If you think some lunatic that calls himself a philosopher or a professor or a great teacher can hold a candle to one word that's in this book, this is not church for you. You see, everything is in this book. And who and what you are will be made plain. There cannot be any deceptions if you'll read the Word of God. Now, it talks about people who wrestle the Word to their own destruction. You can do that. But I'll tell you what, the Bible always wins. Now, let's read on to verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. You see, the first thing that God's given you is the Word of God. The second thing He's given you is the profession of your faith. You see, there had to be a time, a point in time, where you personally came before God and called upon His name. That's how you got saved. Amen? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I met a man must have spent four or five hours at his house. His own brother Skiving was just starting out there in Fargo. We were knocking doors 12 hours a day trying to help that church get started. Now it's one of the greatest churches in the whole area there. And this man talked and we talked. I mean, we started in Genesis and worked the whole way through to Revelation. And he said, I just got to think about these things. And I said, well, can I come back and see you next week? We'll still be in town. And... Uh, and uh, he said, yes, yes. 
And so I came back and he, he looks at me and said, I'm glad you came back. I'm saved. I said, really? I said, when did that happen? He said, I don't know. I said, you don't know? I said, did you call on the name of the Lord? He says, I know I'm saved. I said, well, maybe you could tell me what happened. He said, I got so just confused and upset in my soul that I grabbed my Bible and I went to some area park and he said, I just sat there. In fact, I sat there for three days. I didn't even go home. He said, and all I did was read and pray and try to talk to God. He said, it was sometime during those three days that I finally gave up and asked God to save me. He said, I've never heard testimony like that. But that sounds like you called on the name of the Lord. He said, oh, yeah. He said, I just don't remember when. I said, well, it was sometime during those three days. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, sometime, but I, I don't remember. Uh, you see, God deals with us so patiently. He allows the Word to do its work. Some people, it takes years to peel away layers of deception and self-deception until they get down to the nothing but the truth. You know, you can think you know you're a sinner. You can think you know the truth. But there comes a point when you stop thinking and you just know what's going on. Amen? And you call upon Jesus and you ask Him to save you. You remember that time. Now, let me tell you something. If we believe not, He abideth faithful. He cannot deny His own. Your salvation isn't dependent upon your memory. Your salvation is dependent upon the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? And you have that belief. You know what? When something bad happens, when something that we don't understand happens, you know what the first temptation of the devil is? Is to rethink our salvation. Is to stop and say, well, did God really save me? If He really loved me, would He let this happen to me? Wait a minute. What does faith say? He that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God is. God is good. You can't get past those two. That is our profession. That is what we believe. We believe that God is so good that He sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the price for my sins. You see, the third thing that He gave us is in verses 15 and 16. It says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched, with the feeling of our infirmities, but was, as, was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. You see, this Bible is going to teach you one thing. It's going to teach you God's love and God's character. It's going to teach you that God is holy, and yet in His perfect holiness, 
He wants to save us. How patient is God with us? And what's the first thing we do when we experience trouble, when, when we get off the path that we ought to be walking? We say, oh, I'm not going to go back to church until I get this thing straightened out. That's the wrong answer. You see, there's no other place you can go to get help. You must come back to the Savior. It says that we're going to get two things here. It says that we're to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. How many of you remember the definition of mercy? Mercy is given by the victor to the defeated. That's mercy. Do you think there might be a connection there to blessed are the poor in spirit? I believe that's what Jesus is talking about. There's just times when we got to go back and remember how poor in spirit we are. Sometimes when the Lord does some good things in our life, it's the absolute most dangerous time for us spiritually because we start taking our eyes off the Lord like the little kid riding his bicycle, forgetting that Dad was holding the back of the bike. And all, I'm doing this all by boom. Doesn't work that way. That's the, that's how we live life. I'm glad that Jesus never has to let go of the back of my bicycle. Amen. That he's always holding on. And so as we we look at this passage here, it talks about, number one, you better be afraid because if you're not afraid, you're going to miss the rest that God has for you. You better be afraid of missing out on that rest. There are three things that God has given us that will give us that rest. Number one is the Word of God. It will do its work in your life if you will allow it to. It's always there. It's never wrong. There's no problem that's too complex that the Bible cannot make simple. The only problem is we don't like simple because it reveals bad things about ourselves. But you see, I didn't lose my salvation. I have a profession that Jesus, in his own words, is guaranteed for all eternity. I don't have to rethink my salvation. I don't have to worry about how sincere I was on that day or how this or how many tears I cried or any of those things. If I obeyed the word of God, the word of God says, thou shalt be saved. Amen. And that gives me access. Have you ever really needed help from someone who was willing to help you, but you were too stubborn to ask for it? How many of us have ever been there? Not a good place to be now, is it? And when they always come finally to straighten out and, get, and make the mess that we've made right, what's the first question? Why didn't you call me sooner?
it says that we can boldly approach. That doesn't mean that I go to God and get what I want. You see, in order to obtain mercy, I have to admit my defeat and my failure. Amen? In order to get grace, I've got to walk in the favor that God has. And the Word of God tells me what those things are. When I was a kid, 1982, how many of you remember this? June of 1982, all of the planets were going to be in a straight line from the sun. And the entire universe was going to rip itself apart in cataclysmic destruction. We joked among ourselves, it's because the class of 82 is graduating. No. You know what happened on that day? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. People think they know all kinds of things. But I'll tell you what I do know. Jesus Christ saves sinners. And he wants us to live for him. He's given us a profession of faith in him. He's given us a place that we can go and have a right to enter. We can talk to Him. And not only will He give us mercy when we confess our sins and our failures, He'll give us grace so we can get up and keep walking. Paul put it this way, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. He said, the life which I now live is by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't frustrate God's law. I don't frustrate his grace. I get to live in it. And if that's not rest, I don't know what rest is. By the way, I do know what rest is. Because that's what the Bible says, is rest. It's when I am not working to please God. He is working to please himself through me. It solves so many problems. That's what faith will do. There is a rest. Yes, there's labor to get to that rest. There is a struggle to get there, but once you're there, it's no longer you doing the work, it's God. And all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, can't help but believe we have those in this very room who are struggling with their salvation, trying to do enough good things to earn it. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would turn loose of their abilities and their efforts and trust only in Jesus Christ. Find the rest that's in His Word. 
Lord, we have people here today who are saved and know for sure they're going to heaven. But they're still working, trying to please you and to struggle to gain your acceptance. When they already have it, Lord, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you would help us to use the light of the Word of God to peel back those layers of deception and self-deception that we could get down to the truth and simply obey it. Help us, Lord. In your name we pray. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation...